Welcome to Christ Church Anglican. We hope that you are blessed by today's sermon. Lord, I pray that you transform us, help us to become uh, transformed into the likeness of your Son, to uh, be committed to you and uh, to what you're calling to us to each day, and to walk in that power. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to start with this quote from C.S. Lewis. In his uh, book called The Weight of Glory, he writes, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. And let me read that again, as it's such a great paragraph. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like ignorant children, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. So are you far too easily pleased? Are your desires too weak? So Lent is usually a season when we're examining our hearts to see what kind of obstacles are there, what kind of things have taken root in our heart. We're looking for bitterness, for sins that have taken hold. But I don't think we often examine ourselves and find that our desires are too weak. I think we often believe our desires are too strong. We find ourselves fighting against food, sweets like chocolate or fudge or something like that, alcohol, uh, codependency in relationships, unhealthy relationships, sexual behaviors to include viewing viewing pornography, uh, greed, envy, and the list goes on. So a lot of times I think when we're struggling with sin, a lot of times we think our... uh, our desires are actually too strong. And I was talking to a gentleman on the phone a couple weeks ago, and he was just crying over the phone with me because he could not give up alcohol. He just couldn't do it. He, he just felt like it was going to kill him, and it was terrifying him because his desire for alcohol was too strong. And we often use Lent as a time to try to give these things up and fight against our desires, and we often fail. And most of us conclude that our desires were too strong. The beautiful truth of the gospel is that Jesus did not come to make us feel guilty about our desires, but to transform our desires completely. He didn't come to just make us feel guilty or ashamed. He came to transform our desires completely. I was struck by Randy's comment. Randy works with Teen Challenge, and and he came in here and he was talking the other day, and he said, our organization, the goal of Teen Challenge, isn't just sobriety. It's not just to be sober. The goal of Teen Challenge is to make you the husband you were always meant to be, the father you were always meant to be, maybe the wife or the daughter you were always meant to be. And so uh, when Randy was talking about that, it made me think, that is the gospel. The gospel isn't just to uh, be sober (laughs) or to stop eating that or drinking that or doing such things, right, uh, that we think are sinful. 
The goal of the gospel is to make us what we were always meant to be, to transform our very desires. Jesus didn't come to make us better people or even good people. He came to make us new creations with stronger desires for heavenly things. And I think about this a lot of times. I'll go out and we're evangelizing. We're sharing the gospel. We're talking to people. And I might be sharing with a friend even at work or something, right? And they'll say, oh, well, I don't need to go to the church to be a good person. Yeah, of course. You don't need to go to the church to be a good person. You can be a good person without going to church. But that wasn't why Jesus came. He didn't come just to make you a good person or a better person. Jesus came to make you a new creation, to give you completely new desires for him and for heavenly things instead of earthly things. And that is what we find in our reading from Paul to the Philippians in chapter 3, starting at verse 17. So let's look at this passage together. If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 17. We see in the very first verse that Paul is so confident in his own integrity as a Christian that he can tell the Philippians to imitate him. Let me read that verse for you. He says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So this is a very bold statement for Paul to make. And he doesn't just make this about himself. Notice he uses the plural. He talks about imitate us. He is also confident enough to make the statement about those who are with him. Now, think about your own life in Christ. Would you be confident enough to make this claim about yourself? Would you have the integrity to have people imitate your life in order for them to become more like Jesus Christ? If somebody followed you around and imitated everything you did, would they look more like Jesus or would they look more like maybe the son of a devil, right? Perhaps at church, you might be able to have people imitate you, maybe for an hour or two at home. But what about at night when you're alone? When you eat too much, you drink too much, you might watch porn or other things you shouldn't be watching. You gamble too much online, buying stuff you really don't need because you're greedy. Maybe you gossip and grumble at home about things you really can't change, but you just go on grumbling anyways. You might yell at your wife or your kids instead of showing them the love and the gentleness and the respect that you should show them. If I had a camera following you around, (laughs) making a documentary about your life, saying, imitate this person and you'll be more like Jesus, would they become more like Christ by imitating you? In our world full of bad examples, I'm convinced that one of the greatest failings of the church is that we have not been imitatable. They can't imitate us. They look at us and they see a lot of the same things they see in the rest of the world. How are we any different than the world around us? And if they can't imitate us, why would they want to come to our church? Why would they want to be part of our community? They don't want to be a hypocrite like us. So to be imitators of Christ so that others can imitate you is an incredibly, incredibly high calling. But it is the biblical standard for us, and hypocrisy, literally meaning being two-faced, has de- devastating consequences. God has grace when we slip up. There's a difference between slipping up and continuing in your sin. The Bible is very clear that those who love God will not continue to sin. And that's talking about chronic perpetual sins that you're not willing to give up, you're not willing to fight against. I'm not talking about just slipping up and saying something you shouldn't have said or doing something you shouldn't have done. That's different. And there's grace for that. 
To do anything less than to be imitatable will continue to perpetuate people's disinterest in the church. When people see us, they want to see something different. So think about all the pastor kids or missionary kids who have, tur- who have turned away from their faith because they had hypocritical parents or saw the hypocrisy in the church. And so you think about those kids. You think about people that look at us today. They don't want to be part of a community where they feel like they're just going to be part of the problem, part of the hypocrisy. They want to be, and a lot of them, I think, they, I mean, they still love Jesus. A lot of missionary kids and pastor kids, you meet them, they still love Jesus. They just don't want to be part of the community anymore because they've been hurt or they've seen the hypocrisy. Let's read verses 18 through 19. For many of whom I have told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame. Their minds set on earthly things. There is a very real danger of setting our minds on earthly things instead of Jesus. And it breaks Paul's heart to watch people settle for earthly things. He even cries for them. Have you ever cried for the lost? Have you ever cried for those who don't know Jesus? Does it give you an anguish, or is it just simply you're concerned? It gave Paul anguish. And he's crying because their desires are too weak, not because their desires are too strong. How silly is it to settle for earthly things when we are promised an eternal life of joy with God? And as C.S. Lewis says, sin makes us like ignorant children in a slum. Think about little kids playing in mud in the slum. That's literally what we look like when we choose to continue in our sin instead of living the life God wants for us, to transform us, to make us heavenly-minded. Think about, you know, the dog returning to its vomit or the sow rolling around in the mud in the Bible, right? Paul says that we have become worshipers of the belly God, Worshippers of the belly god. And I don't, I don't know about you, but I know like Thanksgiving rolls around. Sometimes it's very easy to fall into uh, the temptation to be this worshiper of the belly god. Paul says people who have chosen to worship their stomachs instead of God are enemies of the cross of Christ. They have chosen to love the things of this world instead of the heavenly things of Christ. We settle for good things when we have been called to enjoy the source of life in everything. Not to simply just settle for earthly things, but to settle for the source. Don't settle for anything less than God. He's offered you immeasurable spiritual riches that you can have for eternity. Don't settle for earthly things that will pass away and be destroyed when he returns. Let's read verses 20 through 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. By setting our minds on Jesus and his kingdom, we become citizens of heaven and are transformed into the glorious likeness of Jesus. Do you want to be transformed? Do you want to be changed? Then set your mind on heavenly things, Let him transform your mind, renew your mind, so that you are no longer a son of Satan, no longer a son of darkness, no longer under condemnation, 
but can receive the riches and the power and the glory and the eternal life of Jesus Christ. So Jesus has power to overcome death and the grave and crush Satan under his feet and save us from our sins. That is why he died on the cross, so that you can believe in him, trust in him, let him transform you, because he died for your sins to take them all away. So he offers us this same power to transform us into his own glorious likeness. So the same power that he used to crush Satan, the same power that he, he used to take away our sins, is the same power that he wants to use to transform you. It's still available for you today. So it's time for the church to start living like citizens of heaven. Jesus is sending his Holy Spirit today to continue to transform us and make us into new creations. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone, that means anyone, the the prostitute, the beggar, the, the evil person, the most evil, vile person you can think of, anyone is in Christ. He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So what does this look like practically? Have you ever heard the saying, don't be so heavenly minded that you're not earthly good, that you're no earthly good? That's a stupid saying. It's a dumb saying. When we are more heavenly minded, we should be more earthly good. There should be no difference between being heavenly minded and earthly good. When you fix your mind on heaven and you fix your mind on Christ, you become more like Christ. And we can't say that Christ wasn't earthly good, right? Christ was very earthly good. He did a lot of things walking around taking care of those in need. And he commissioned his disciples to do the same, to do good, to care for those in need. So he's very earthly good. Heavenly mindedness should transform the way we think about everything and the way we use everything. I think about my children. They don't belong to me anymore. My children belong to Jesus. My house belongs to Jesus. My car belongs to Jesus. My bank accounts belong to Jesus. Everything I own has been transformed in my mind, so now it belongs to Jesus. And how do I take care of those things? Reflects how I love Jesus. He calls us to obedience. So God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to his power at work within us. So this Lent, Instead of focusing simply on getting rid of behaviors or habits or foods or even addictions, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first those things. Let him transform your desires. Don't just fight desires, but be transformed. Be a new creation in Christ that comes by calling on his name and letting him forgive you of your sins and making you a new creation in him. Let him transform your mind. Don't settle for mud pies in the slum of a fallen world when God promises you glory. God does not want to make you a better person or even simply a good person. God wants to make you a new creation. He died on the cross to save you. Believe that, but also believe that he can transform you into the likeness of Jesus Christ. You can be like Jesus to radiate with the glory of his beauty and righteousness forever. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, feel free to visit us online at ccanglican.com. We hope you will join us again soon.